Welcome to the Real Estate Asset Management Podcast brought to you by Break of Day Capital. The show focuses on educating syndicators and apartment owners on how to build systems and manage their properties more efficiently to become a best-in-class operator. 100% straight talk. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Asset Management Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Lipsky. This podcast is focused on educating operators, building better systems, and becoming a best-in-class operator. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Asset Management Mastery, where we have a great community of thousands of like-minded individuals sharing resources and best practices. Choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated, if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have, and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships, so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to quotenow.biz and we'll start the conversation. Today on the podcast, we have Warren Dresner. Warren has over 20 years of experience in finance, insurance, and real estate. And welcome, Warren. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Sure. Well, thanks for having me on, Gary. So originally, I'm from Australia. I've moved around a fair bit. I lived in the UK and Europe for a while, spent some time in Chicago, now based in Miami, Florida. So as you mentioned, my background is largely in finance and insurance. I started investing in real estate in 2010, focusing on single family, as many people do. The original motivation was for tax benefits, but slowly over time, I became more and more concerned, obsessed about passive income, generating passive income. So I started investing in real estate syndications as a passive investor. And then in 2019, I decided I wanted to get more active. So I got more educated. I started networking more and eventually met my partner and we formed Equity Yield Group in 2020. And since then, we've built up a portfolio of about 900 units, all A and B class deals in strong secondary markets in the Southeast with a particular focus on Florida. Wow, you guys got off sprinting. So well, well done. <laughs> Thank you. It's been a fun ride. And yeah, we'd love to keep on building. That's yeah. the plan. So today I want to talk about your first deal. It was a $26 million property and you utilize institutional money, which is pretty unheard of. And obviously your background, it led you to it. You knew the language and whatnot, but let's, let's dive into that because a lot of people are, there's a lot of institutional money. And so, you know, let's start off with where was this property located? How many units? What class was it? Sure. So it was 148 units in Sarasota, Florida. It was an A-class deal. It was built in 2016, but it was quite a unique deal because although the building was only five years old, the interiors looked like they were 25 years old. They really hadn't put a lot of money into the interiors. And so that's where we saw the opportunity. We could bring in a, a light to moderate value add and make the numbers work. But A-class deal in Sarasota, Florida. Nice. And what was the impetus to go directly to institutional capital? Did you have a, a relationship already? Or, you know, because that's something people maybe do, maybe their sixth deal or seventh deal. So how, tell me how right. you put that together. So probably going to go back a couple of steps. We were, we were always very intentional about what our criteria was. We were very intentional about buying in strong markets, very intentional about buying newer product. 
And when you combine strong market and newer product, we were always going to get to an expensive purchase price. So we knew from the very beginning that we needed to find a way, firstly, to win a $20, $30 million deal. And secondly, to finance it, to raise capital, to close the deal. And so right at the beginning, even before we found this property, we started building relationships with institutional capital. Given our backgrounds, my background's in finance, insurance, investments. My partner's background is in construction, where a lot of the financing is more complicated. We were familiar with this world. Like we knew the types of products out there. We knew some of the players. So we really focused on building those relationships in advance because we knew that if we could focus on the middle part of the capital stack, find cheaper sources of capital, that would make us more competitive and we'd be able to win some of these deals. It would also reduce the size of our raise that we have to, when we have to go out and raise money from private investors. So that's how we approached it. We really started working on this strategy before we even found the property. When we did eventually find it, even before we closed the deal, we started showing it to some of these groups to make sure that it was something that they wanted to be a part of. Yeah, I love it. I love the, in, in the intention to, to win the deals and what you needed because I think a lot of that forethought doesn't happen when you're starting out a multifamily. So that's huge that you guys were, were already thinking about that and your strategy and developing those relationships. What, you know, I don't, I don't know if you could, it was, was it PREF? Was it JV? Could you maybe share some deal points? This one was PREF, PREF equity or hybrid PREF. So there was basically a current pay where we had to pay them. I don't think the terms are supposed to be public knowledge, but yeah, you tend to pay them seven to 9% current return, which is like a PREF. And then there's an accrued component, which is, in this case, it's about 4% at the back end. So in total, you know, we're paying them 11 or 12% on their money, which is cheaper than what we're paying private investors because they're expecting 15, 16, 18%. Right, right. And 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 your LP gets, you know, they get, participate in the upside where there's a cap on the, on the PREF. Certainly they get the first piece of the action, but there is a cap, which really helps juice the returns and, and win deals, like you said. Exactly. And in this case, I think we needed about $12 million. The PREF provider provided just under $7 million. So that reduced the size of our raise to a much more manageable level, particularly for a first deal. Yeah. And 5 million raise on the first deal, that's pretty big, you know? Right. Although it seems like as we, you know, as time goes on, these these raises are getting bigger and bigger as asset sizes increase. But yeah, that was big for us back then. Yeah. Yeah. Once you once you do a couple of deals, particularly a couple of exits, it just gets easier and easier. And and then if you have that consistent deal flow too, which is which is hard, you know, because you don't want to do a deal just to do a deal. But uh, but if you have some level of consistency, you know, those investors come back if they like what you're doing, they bring their friends, which is which is nice. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So what were some of the biggest lessons you learned using institutional money? Because I'm sure there was, it, it wasn't, you know, 100% smooth, you know? Yeah, there, there would have been a number of lessons. I'd say the first one is we were very fortunate that we were intentional about this whole process. Institutional capital is not for every deal. It was really useful for us that we knew the appetite of these institutions in advance of finding the deal. Because this private equity gets a bad rap in the market. A lot of people are worried that they're going to leave you at the altar. You know, they're not going to close. We made sure that we knew which markets they want to be in and we knew what kind of assets they want to invest in. And as soon as we had an offering that fitted into that bucket, we took it to them. And I think that's a huge point. 
I think a lot of people try to, they find a deal in a small market where institutions are not interested, or they find a really old asset that's 50 years old, institutions are not interested. So that the biggest lesson is find a product that fits their appetite, and that's going to set you on a path for success. Otherwise, it's going to set you up for failure. Okay. And so my next question is, would you do it again? And if so, would you do anything differently? And I, I think I already know your answer, but go ahead. <laughs> So I really think it comes down to the deal. We've done a number of deals since then, some without institutional capital. I guess, you know, another learning is everyone talks about the acquisition process and, you know, it's really difficult to negotiate with these guys and are they going to close? Are they not going to close? But you're now in a deal with them for five or six years and you need to have an ongoing relationship. And if you mess up on the operational side, some of these players can be ruthless. They can take the deal away from you. They've got step-in rights. So Although it's a cheap cost of capital and it's got its advantages, there are also disadvantages. So on subsequent deals, we've waited up. Do we go this route or do we do it just with private capital? And often we've chosen not to go that route. So it really comes down to a deal-by-deal basis where it makes sense. We've closed some deals just with bridge debt, with no extra financing. We've done some with mezzanine debt, some with pref equity. It's great to have the flexibility. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of different ways to skin the cat. So it's just a matter of, like you said, each deal is, is is different. And, you know, obviously, if it's not a cash flowing asset, PREF is going to be really hard to work, you know, if you have a big lift, but sometimes they can accrue more than the current and there's ways around it. But obviously, it's JV or raising from high net worth individuals is probably a better option for a huge lift. Absolutely. And we, we think of it from the capital stack side of things. So we're going to get a senior loan. We're going to raise money from investors at some point. But what do we do in the middle? That's always the question. And how can we optimize it so that we're getting investors the best outcome so that it, basically we can take down the deal in the most efficient way? Nice, nice. What is your asset management superpower, Warren? So for us, I'd say it's professionalism, combination of my corporate background, also my experiences with investing in deals myself. I think there are too many operators out there who they don't have a plan. They kind of go with the flow. You know, they everyone has a plan in the beginning. When you acquire an asset, when you raise money from investors, there's a pro forma and a plan. But we see too many sponsors out there who forget that plan as soon as they take over the asset. So we try and be really organized, really professional, and always manage to a plan. So we set KPIs, we measure, we monitor, we adjust, but we're always going back to that business plan. And I think that's what makes our operations more efficient overall. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I really like how you guys had intention, even going into your first deal, how you were going to put together the cap stack, which is so important. And you guys were, were able to pull it off. So kudos to you. Please tell our listeners where they can find out more about you. Sure. Thanks. So the name of our group's Equity Yield Group. And the best way to find us is at equityyieldgroup.com. You can find our contact information there. You can download our free passive investing guide there. And you can join our investor club or or newsletter as well. Excellent. Excellent. My name again is Gary Lipsky signing off. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Real Estate Asset Management Podcast. Thank you. To all of our listeners, thanks for joining us. And if you like this episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and like, subscribe, and review this podcast as it will help us grow our audience and reach more people. And if you'd like to learn more about what we do at Break of Day Capital, head over to our website, breakofdaycapital.com and sign up for our newsletter and or fill out our investor application. We'll talk to you next week.